0: Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy! Hey everyone, welcome to an episode of Flyber Labs, and this interview is about innovation in and the future of sports, so I'm pretty pumped for this podcast. It's with Isaiah Kazavensky. Isaiah has quite a story. He had a tough childhood, but ended up going to Harvard where he played linebacker on their football team. And he was drafted by the Seattle Seahawks in 2000 and ended up retiring from the NFL in 2008. And after retiring, he went back to Harvard to get his MBA. And yes, he's also been on Oprah. So as you can tell, Isaiah does not mess around. And he was one of the first employees of MC10, which is a health wearables company. And then, and so now, in, 2000, in December 2016, Isaiah started the Sports Innovation Lab, which sounds as cool as it is, um, which is a leading sports market research and advisory firm around sports innovation and its future. So uh, they help to identify products and services that will impact the future of sports. So uh, I'm quite excited to hear a little about, about Isaiah's background and what he's working on now. So Isaiah, thanks for uh, coming on the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, that was quite an intro, so I don't know if I can live up to it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, and it's funny. I, uh, I think, uh, I, yeah, I saw your birthday someplace and I think I'm about like three weeks older than you. So, um, oh, very nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty ma- I'm, I'm a lot more mature than you. So, uh, you're,
1: you're, a, you're, a, you're a, so that means your September, September uh, 1977 birthday. Yeah, that's
0: right. That's right. <laughs> gotcha. Um, <laughs> so anyways all right so uh there's different uh podcasts and videos of you talking about your <clears throat> background which is quite mm-hmm. quite amazing so maybe we'll just start there i I want to talk a lot about what you're working on now but uh if you could just give an overview of uh, kind of your background and how it shaped yeah. you that'd be awesome
1: yeah no i mean uh it's, again appreciate you you having me on excited to, to talk with you and uh i've only heard good things and yeah, I, I think just talking about my childhood and, uh, some of the, the, pieces that really shaped how I think about the world, um, really happened during my formative years growing up. And, um, you had mentioned already, you know, grew up in, in poverty. I was, young, I was the youngest of five kids. Uh, grew up in poverty. We were homeless for points of my childhood. And, you know, I had a, I had a father that was um, alcoholic and really wreaked a ton of havoc uh, on the household at a pretty early age. I uh, realized that. Um, one thing I, I did have, my, my, I will know my, my father's now been sober for close to 30 years, um, oh, wow. which has been um, a, um, a, a true blessing uh, to, to our family. And, uh, but, you know, really early on in my life, was able to, to see how that was wrong. My mother, was a huge shaping influence in my life uh was really the, the, the beacon of life for me both my parents were were both in and out of orphanages during their childhood and uh, never really had a uh, uh really a lot of guidance they really had tough childhoods themselves uh, my my father uh you know really ended up even with a kind of a similar kind of childhood they both had different ways they, they dealt, dealt with it my, my father um you know really resorted to a pretty bad temper and around alcoholism my my mother uh with with the tough child that actually took that and uh, made that uh, a way to, to to really show that she didn't want to raise her family like that and she was just an unbelievably loving person uh without like i said both of those 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 uh my mom and my dad without very much of a Education, I, I believe my mom failed two grades. It might actually have been three, mm. um, where, you know, she was diagnosed with a learning disability later on in her life, but I uh, was never diagnosed and was really called stupid and dumb her entire childhood. Mm. Um, she was not going to let that happen to her, her family. And, you know, from someone that was very little education, she showed us the value of uh, a... Um, of reading and of making sure school was an important priority early on in my life. And I did, I obsessed. We didn't have a TV <laughs> we had a radio and we had a record player. And, uh, we, she would, she would essentially drop us off at the library and we would read, uh, massive amounts every, every Sunday. We probably would read six to eight hours. Wow. Um, just massive amounts of consumption. And I, I really started to play around with things that I liked and I, I really saw that I was drawn into reading biographies and biographies, uh, specifically around in a variety of different ways. But I, I used to like the, the journey of people's story, how they got really successful. And I started to tilt towards uh, sports and, you know, reading a book on Babe Ruth and reading a book on Dan Gable, who's a wrestler and, uh, Jerry Rice and Walter Payton, I'll continue to read these books. And I loved hearing people's path, how they overcame adversity and be able to do that. And I reading books and consuming books and understanding and getting great gathering a love for, for biography and kind of people's past really helped shape me early on. Another thing that, uh, I'll stop here. Kind of helped shape me early on was my, my mother, um, diving deep, um, with us and sitting us down once a week to listen to Martin Luther King's I have a dream speech. And we used to listen to that on a record player. Um, you know I was five kids um, a young uh, like I said a five but two two boys uh two girls uh as my brothers and sisters used to sit us down for that and listen to that once a week I got a true appreciation um, for uh, how wrong hey how wrong the world can be sometimes and then how much pain there is how many how much pain there is and how much more love that needs to be really really injected into the world in, in a, a variety of different ways and um she was just unbelievably emotionally intelligent to be able to have the wherewithal without very full education to, to show us that at a very young age. And that was left a huge imprint on my life. Mm-hmm. Again, listening to that uh, week after week, really understanding uh, the value in that. And uh, that helped shape me, helped me really put myself in other people's shoes and understand that people, uh, a lot of people are hurting in the world and to try to uh, really add uh, more and more love into this world every single day. So those were two huge factors for me to help shape my childhood. And it really helped shape the outlook that I have. Um, And, you know, it really helped me from really feeling sorry about myself where we were at and really helped me discover uh, the sport of football, which I found at a pretty young age when I was nine years old. And, uh, you know, I really didn't look back. I, 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 I had a true awakening when I was 14 years old and, uh, woke up the next next morning, with, as a, you know, I really look at it as a turning point in my life. Woke up the next morning after when I was 14 years old, one specific night. Woke up the next morning and made a sign, put it above my bed. It said, let no one outwork you today. I really carried that over into academics and as well as on the on the sports field. I was a, I was a football player as well as wrestler and track athlete. I was a pentathlete and really use that as my my war cry to really maximize every single day and maximize this amazing country that we live in. We have this true freedom to control our destinies and want to maximize that and never wanted to look back and say, I regret anything. And I haven't been perfect, but I I try to look back every single day and say, Hey, did I put everything I possibly could into every single day? And, um, I try to do that and I try to, I I now have two kids and, I uh, try to have them strive to do the same. And a thirteen-year-old and eleven-year-old. So, anyway, I know that was a long-winded way of, of talking about my childhood, but those are—I think those are kind of the big, big factors that help shape how I think about today.
0: No, that was great. I think that's pretty much the podcast. So, thanks for coming on. No, I'm just kidding. But no, that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. we can just talk about that the whole time. I was like, uh, that's a different podcast. So, um, but that was, no, that, was that was awesome. I—I I wanted people to get a feel for. You know, of course, I read a fair amount about you and watched the videos, but wanted the audience to get a feel for your background because it's definitely a quite an amazing story. I mean, do you think, have you thought about if you did not have that type of upbringing, would you have done what you did? I mean, I know it's kind of hard to know, but I'm always curious because I've interviewed, interviewed a lot of people, and a fair number do have some tough backgrounds, a fair number don't, but um, yeah, have you ever thought about what happens if you lived like in a I guess no one has a perfectly normal (laughs) upbringing, but you know I mean? A little less tough.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a great question. And I thought, I definitely thought about that over time. I I now have become someone that is really, really uh, continues to dive deep and understanding people's stories. And even where I sit now, I've invested in over 20 companies in tech and biotech, and I really want to get to know The the entrepreneur, what makes that person tick and try to understand how they got to that point in time. And, you know, really look at that as a way that will this person overcome adversity? Um, How will this person react when the chips are down? Will this person run through walls no matter what? Mm -hmm. And I really think that's, that's that's a person thing. Um, I like to think I, I, that would happen, um, just based on some ama- amazing guidance from just an amazing woman that was my mother. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, the people around me, the sport, um, as well as it was, it was in academics as well. There's things I learned on the academic side in the classroom. I could have never learned from amazing teachers. And then there's, there's things in on the field that I could have never learned in the classroom. And I think vice versa. I think all those pieces combined. I, I think I would have had it. I think to be, you know, kind of the true, true insight that I had and the true background. Um, I mean, we all are kind of make up our history, but we're not defined by our history. Uh, Although I like to think, you know, some of those experiences really made me appreciate uh, how, um, they made me appreciate how hard I had to work to go out and achieve, but also it helped me appreciate what I have today. And never take anything for anything for granted. So it wouldn't necessarily have shaped my path, but it changes. I think how I look at each day as a gift, and um, you know, uh, material things as material things, and they do not define me. They don't define my family. Um, and in really being able to think ab- about that. But yeah, I think it's an amazing question, and one that I think you know a lot of people have wrestled with over time. Yeah. Uh, we, we all kind of um, are helped we're shaped by our experiences, but we're not defined by our experiences if you're able to overcome them. And um, I, I like to say that I, I think the the hunger to continue to achieve is definitely driven um, in, at the at the innermost part of my soul is definitely driven by this uh, fear <laughs> of, uh, of of not achieving of, of of this fear of ever going back to poverty. Um, but yeah, I would not say it's the overall driver to, to every single thing I do. Hmm,
0: Interesting. Okay. And a a couple more football or, um, pre, uh, pre tech questions (laughs) before we get into the tech stuff. But, uh, so you play a lot of football games. What do you remember one game that you're, that you're the most nervous for in your entire career? or maybe, (laughs) uh, maybe none, maybe you're never nervous. (laughs) No, I wouldn't say, um,
1: I wouldn't say I was like nervous per se. Okay. Uh for a for a, for a ton of games, I I, re, I I it's more of like how I look at football. I looked at football really as a release for me. Okay. Um as a way to like I don't know, it felt like I was I could run free. It's one of the things I, I hate about not being able to like live my life today. I like I love being able to run free and hit people. Uh which you know, <laughs> I have to be good at. I have to be at like a knack for. I can't do that today. Unless I want to become like an office linebacker, <laughs> like just completely <laughs> terrorize everybody. Um so, yeah, you know, I I think you know th- those aspects were, uh, were 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 something that you know completely uh you know, had a uh, a a true uh, a true love wax. I, I completely lost my train of thought here <laughs> oh <and laughs> I, I, I one,
0: one of my which, one of my office if, linebackers so. if there's any uh, games you're nervous for or maybe super pumped for oh, yeah, yeah. you could say too or yeah uh, anything that uh
1: yes i to... i think there's I mean, the, the biggest game I my, my life was the Super Bowl. Yeah. I I would be crazy to say if I wasn't. Uh, when you know, I was one of the captains of that Super Bowl team. We played the, the I was up with the Seahawks. We played the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl Forty and in Detroit. That was just an amazing experience. It was a very emotional experience as well. Uh, I, I, it was more of like was, I guess you could say a little nervous, but it was more of like excited and. Just couldn't, I had to pinch myself that I was actually playing that game and just yeah. really tried to soak up every single aspect of it. Um, so that, you know, I would actually say the NFC championship game to get into the Super Bowl was probably the most tense game, um, before, uh, starting just, just cause you're on the cusp of being able to realize a childhood dream, being able to do that. And I just remember the anticipation for that was just, you know, it was, it was awesome and, and great and scary all at the same time. I loved it, and then you know, really having that game in Seattle at home, and literally the loudest game I've ever been involved with ever. Um, It was like, yeah, you could barely hear yourself think for four quarters in that game. We played the Carolina Panthers at home, and it was just crazy. It was one of those games I'll never forget, but just an amazing experience. You know, winning that game to get the Super Bowl and uh, was awesome.
0: Got interesting. All right, Uh, yeah, I could just talk about that all day, but um, (laughs) so. One more kind of football, but tech related. So, you know, when, how do you get interested in what you're doing now? And I know you went to work with MC10 too, one of, as one of the first employees. But you know, do we are always kind of interested in tech or innovation, while playing or or when did you start getting kind of interested in the space?
1: Um, that's a really good question. Um, so I didn't have this is like a funny. I didn't have a computer until I was. In uh, my senior year in, at Harvard. Okay. And um, I, I like that shows you how technology oriented I was and grow up around technology and not have a ton of knowledge about it. Um, but what I've done, and really what I've, I try to tackle everything, is I, I'm a very curious person. I try to feed that and not shy away. And uh deep. I had a word processor. This is how I wrote all my papers at Harvard with my first three years there. But I had a word <laughs> processor I used. Uh, and then I transferred over finally to like, you know, uh, the modern age with a computer, uh, during that senior year and I never really looked back. I continued to embrace technology, have a a passion for it. Um, I would say I always saw this, the potential for technology to play this integral role. I was a pre-med undergrad. I was, my backup plan if I didn't play in the NFL was to be a doctor and, and my, my, I always thought technology as playing a key role and how technology would change in the future as a key role in helping to, uh, really add a ton of value to that experience. Uh, really think about the remote monitoring that as we think about that today, um, the ability to, um, you know, quantify things. And I used to think about that as not only as an athlete, I, I was in the NFL. I was a fringe player. I was never a superstar. And I, I I was always trying to find some amount of way to optimize my performance or minimize my risk of injury. And I was doing that in grass paper ways to do it. I was really doing it with a piece of pen, you know, pen and paper. If, if you look at sleep and hydration and um, workouts and uh exertion and how, how you, how we actually do all that. It was, it was not sophisticated. So, Wanting to quantify that experience and take the guesswork out of how I trained was really there. And I, I remember just being this urge of like technology has to play a role in this somehow. And that's not defined just by me as an athlete. Um, I started to think about as I was, I had the left, I now had 11 surgeries in my body. So I had nine when I played and started to think about that experience as. What if I could quantify this experience? I had so many surgeries, or it was frustrating wow. for me. Like, how close was I to coming back? Yeah. What if I could quantify this via technology to show if I could baseline when I'm healthy, how close I am coming back to actually put a number, quantify that number, how close I I was be I would be to 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 being healthy again, and that kind of the the, the gray area of of not knowing was was always throwing me off. So, I, again, I could go on and on with. Guesswork during hydration. I was a cramper and always I used to think about it very critically about that, which is what if I could take the guesswork out of how I hydrate and stay ahead of the curve and make sure I never cramp ever, uh, which came through and ended up having a, a plan devised that actually sufficiently solved that, which was um, a longer story. Let me go on into it again, but this idea of becoming a quantified athlete, which is really an extension of quantified self, really. Started to have technology play a role into making that feedback loop a lot tighter. And I know I'm going deep into the space, but that kind of really led me into wow, technology should have a a role front and center to help revolutionize how we all look at that quantified Mm -hmm. experience.
0: And and uh, and so, uh, when did you start having these thoughts? Like, how did you get involved with MC MC10?
1: No, it's a great, it's a great thing. So, you know, I retired. I went to Harvard Business School and, uh, I decided not to go to medical school. I, you know, my kids were young. I didn't want to miss their childhood. And I really had a love for physiology, a love, passion for medicine and really saw uh, my experience. You know, I also had a deep love for sports as well. So tying in all these different aspects and love of technology, um, wanted to find the right fit and, uh, was able to find, um, I had nine authors coming out of Harvard Business School wow. and really use Harvard Business School as a way to figure out, like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I wanted to, a, a, never had any type of business or economic background. So I actually used the two years in business school to actually learn the ground up and, uh, you know, what to do. And, you know, I put a formal education on around what I had already built already and I kind of self-learned. And then being able to uh, uh, c- continue to, um be able to push the envelope on kind of curiosity factor. How could I find the right fit? And one of, there's a couple of things I realized that I was at Harvard physics school where I had never kind of allowed myself. I'd always been a hard science guy, you know, physics, chemistry, biology, everything else. Um, really what I valued most and I kind of, uh, was able to kind of have this self realization is I, I like being the, having the ability to be creative, uh, having the, the ability to start to innovate and think outside of box and take what I would know to start to apply it to other spaces. I wanted to find an area in which I could be unbelievably creative and not be harnessed by what would be, um, you do this job and only do that job. And that's it. Don't do anything else. (laughs) Everybody else does their job. Um, and like I said, I had nine offers coming out. MC 10 was one of those that stood front and center as a way to unlock, uh, as well as the technology platform to unlock, variety of different use cases, unlocking human physiology, and really dovetailed. I understood the longer-term vision of fully quantifying the human body uh, in a highly accurate way, and something that has still not been realized, but will be in the near future. um, Wrist-worn wearables, as they are today, are highly inaccurate. That's kind of like the dirty little secret. The ability to capture highly accurate data outside of a controlled setting is still elusive, uh, the ability MC10 as well as there's other companies in the space are now pushing the envelope on having the realization of creating that apples to apples comparison outside of a, a controlled static setting where you have massive machines to then then having a high level of accuracy when you're actually going about your, your actual day in life. Uh, that larger vision is what I bought into and really helped to understand how you can quantify all physiology on body. And that was kind of the thing that really, really sucked me into Epstein. So sorry for the long answer.
0: No, that's good. And 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 can you give uh, some ideas of kind of the products that you sold when you were there? Because we we were, we had a you're you part of the business development team. Is that where you're doing? I forget exactly.
1: Yeah, I was yeah, I was a global head of business okay. development. Yeah. Um, I I helped lead the launch of three products there. Uh, one was the checklight, which measured the force of impact to your head. Uh, we cut a deal with Reebok. In conjunction. So they used the, you know, MC10 is a thin, flexible electronics company, a two platform technology company. If you could put electronics anywhere, what would you do and how could you measure? And that really, they they have a lot of the foundational intellectual property around making electronics thin and flexible. So tons of use cases can pull out of that. The first use case was measuring force of impact in that check light product. The second one that we helped launch was the L'Oreal. It was, it was in conjunction with L'Oreal. We licensed our technology. Uh, for a, uh, L'Oreal UV skin patch, um, which measured UVA and UVB exposure, huh. okay. um, per skin light as well. So being able to actually take environmental conditions and partnering up with, uh, amazing company like L'Oreal to really help shape how, if you want to have skin health, how that looks over time. The third one was, um, was the true kind of, uh, Lamborghini of what is now the Lamborghini of of, of research, or you know, a piece of technology that allows you to accurately capture data outside a controlled setting, is is the BioStamp, and I, l- hopefully, the launch of that in um, you know a little less than two years ago, uh, and the ability to uh, take that the BioStamp, which is a thin, flexible electronic patch, and have that. Uh, be relocation agnostic, literally be able to put that anywhere on your body to capture data, to put multiple biostamps on bodies, to, to truly quantify ECG, EMG, accelerometer, gyroscope, access to all the raw data, launching that into the academic institutions, um, launch that into over 60 academic institutions, uh, across the world. Uh, into a variety of different use cases. Think about that as the vehicle to give you access to raw data so that you could then build algorithms and use cases on top of. Similar to how we think about the iPhone, right? You build apps into an iPhone. So you have all these streams of data coming in. Think about that as the ability to be able to do that on body. And it really helped build out, um, you deploy that into the human performance labs, cancer research labs, sleep research labs, uh, orthopedic re- re- rehabilitation research labs, uh, the list can go on and on. There's tons and tons of use cases, which really has been elusive for researchers to collect real-world accurate data as you're going about your day. Hmm.
0: Interesting. That was a, a quite a good experience. And so that kind of leads us into what you're doing now. And uh, you know, take us through when you started the Sports Innovation Lab. Like, uh, you know, what what made you decide to start it, and how did you <clears> kind of get it going? Um, initially because it's never easy but it sounds like you're doing pretty well and you've only been doing it for a few months
1: <laughs> yeah so yeah the sports innovation lab is uh you know, we we officially uh, launched in january and yeah, you know, so we're you know we're a little over i guess we're about six months old um and we built it really uh over the course of a year before we launched. So we've really been in existence for about a year and a half, uh, building it for a year before it was ready to go. But think about uh, the Sports Innovation Lab as a market research and analysis company uh, as a way to truly understand the competitive landscape of what exists in sports technology and innovation broadly, globally, who's doing what where, and what are they focused on. Really saw this as a ridiculously fragmented space. It's it's like it just blows your mind on um, you know companies popping up everywhere, but no one's literally tracking them. There's yeah. no one in the space tracking all the different companies doing, and then defining the spaces they're in. So what we have done is we've now vetted over 2,000 companies globally, um, divided them up into 30 different segments, all defined, and then we say we did the the real cluster analysis around where are these companies actually focused on? What are the major trends that actually matter? <clears throat> and we did cluster analysis on that and we've got five major trends that we cover. Quantified Athlete is one of the trends. Uh smart venue is another one of the trends. Immersive media is another uh next gen sponsorship is, is is the fourth. And then the fifth is eSports, electronic sports and mm-hmm. e gaming. Hmm. Um, and how that is going to intersect with sports. And, you know, really start to think about the world in the broadest way possible, sports as a lens to get to bigger markets. Quantified athlete, in the end, it really speaks to what we talked about earlier. Quantified athlete really is an extension of quantified self. Um, you know, um, smart venue really is an extension of smart city and IOT. Uh, precision medicine is really going to be realized uh, by precision nutrition first. And the ability to really, really use sports as a testing ground to get to much larger markets is really really what we're doing. And and you know, we've got eighteen we've launched six months ago, we've got eighteen clients, some of the biggest companies in the world, IBM, Intel, Google, Gatorade, IBM or uh the NBA, Verizon, Octagon, the NFLPA, PA, One Team Collective, uh, you name it. Um it's just been an amazing ride and, and you know, there's different reasons that people want to really look at, uh, in the landscape in a variety of different ways, but really helping to navigate that landscape to tell a much bigger story is what we're all about.
0: Gotcha. And I saw that, uh, uh, Gatorade, I think it was, G- yeah, Gatorade came out with that hydration like platform and you kind of mentioned the uh, hydration before Did did you guys have any, uh, I, I they probably been working on it for a while, but, uh, have you
1: checked that out? At all? I will. I so, so I, I've had a long-standing relationship with with Gatorade, okay. and I know. Um, yeah, I <laughs> I'm trying to think about this, but that's the best way to answer this. So yes, it's been it's been an amazing ride uh, of being able to really really work with Gatorade as a client to help optimize their strategy as they continue to push forward and really continue to redefine hydration and, and even kind of nutrition in an entirely different way. And it's an unbelievably talented team with a, a deep technical base that fully understands um, how the world is changing. So, yeah, I think that is probably the best way to answer it. And, you know, I think really what you've seen out of Gatorade is the tip of the iceberg is they are really one of the, the bright spots on, um, looking towards the future sports as a lens to much bigger markets as well and in you know in in a variety of ways continue to see uh, have a pulse of the
0: changing landscape and playing a role in that hmm. interesting okay and how so if a, if a client came to you I mean it depends upon the client right IBM versus Gatorade very two different clients but um, you know let's say it's a more of a general technology from like IBM you know How would you even start with them if I they came to you like Hey, let's have a first meeting. You know, tell us what uh, how you could help us. (laughs) Um, You know, you can you can tell us you can tell them you can go through all the different two thousand companies reviewed. But then, how do you start like getting into like actual products they could develop, or or do you get that far? Yeah, yeah. What's your where where you? Yeah, it's
1: a great question. I didn't give you the kind of full uh, the actual full part of the story, which is. You know, we start with our base. We have a huge software database that houses all this information. So they get access to that. It's a you know, subscription model that gives you access information at your fingertips, market size and competitive landscape people. So it's a very efficient way. If you're familiar with the Gardner or Forrester research model, which is actually taking the best in class from that, that type of B2B research and plopped it into the sports technology space. So that's kind of the base model which is we've housed all the information you help you quickly navigate. It's a level of efficiency that really is driven. The next level is like this the ability to help optimize strategy. How do you dive deeper on what what is what is different for each of the company? Um, what is actually important to them strategy wise, what do they want to execute and what were they trying to find to help do that? Some of that is a way to, you know, really look at a way to supplement with really, really strategic consulting and strategy around um, around executing a, a, a real a real plan and, and connecting the dots. And that's really what it ends up being as well. The last portion is, we actually, the lab portion of what we build is we've done, we in do hardcore product testing, uh, lab evaluation. And, you know, we just launched our first scout model, which is independent objective report cards around technologies in the space. So if you're looking at, we we launched, we launched our scout, which really takes criteria into the strength of the business and the strength of the technology and really uh, uses weighted criteria to help with the decision making process. We focused initially on the athlete management systems or athlete performance platforms, the ones that exist in the space, but being able to say, Hey, here's an objective product report card. If you're making decisions on companies like this, this is actually how they perform. Uh, when you're making software decisions. So there's kind of three components from the software platform to the, you know, the strategy optimization to the actual um, objective product report cards. There's the three kind of components to the help with the decision-making process and help navigate a very really complex space.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And what's, uh, you know, what, what's, what te- technology ex- especially excited about there? Is there anything out there that you're like, wow, a lot of people are, I mean, of course wearables, but, Um, is there anything even outside of, you know, like whether it might be esports or media or sponsorship, um anything that uh you're especially like, wow, this is gonna be big. And maybe you don't wanna maybe you don't wanna share it either if it's but
1: (laughs) No, I mean (laughs) there's there's a couple of areas I'm like very bullish on. Okay. Um, you know, as as I think about how the world's really gonna unfold and um part of it what I kinda alluded to already, which is this true you know, Quantified Athlete is an extension of Quantified Self, which is Quantified Worker, which is Quantified Soldier, which is Quantified Patient. In the end, this is all very connected. This is not me being an elite athlete and you, um, you know, you being on, on the other end being, you know, kind of a, a podcast reader. In the end, it doesn't matter if you're an elite, elite athlete or elderly woman at home or where I am now, Joey Beckett Donuts businessman. I, w- I want to feel my best. And human physiology, if captured accurately, uh, should help tell that story of how to feel your best. And when it is done, you actually have a prescription on be able to do that. There are going to be technologies that are going to help play a role in looking at ways in order to fully enforce that. Being able from the hardware and software side. So this true realization of human performance, how do we all feel our best when our best is needed. Give me a path. Give me a blueprint to feel that way. That's where this world's going, and that's a trillion-dollar opportunity. That's massive, massive opportunity. That's what I feel really, really bullish on sports. Is merely a testing ground for that. You know, people are very motivated to test all a variety of different things. It's not slowed down by the regulated space um, of you know being able to hook into you know EMR systems of the hospital is a slow and laborious process. The fact is the consumer and unreg- unregulated side is moving very quickly on this. Uh, that will very soon be best in class. Aggregating massive amounts of data uh, and then analyzing that those data sets. I think in Cerner, I'm not going to let you do that integration into uh, EMR systems for these large hospitals. So the ability to move quickly and have that resonate with larger groups of people over time, it's going to be really something that's going to be really move away from sports and going to be relevant for all of us. How do we all feel our best? How do we put together a plan to feel our best as well? That's where it's going. That's where the huge opportunity is. I see it very, very clearly. The one other piece that's kind of an extension of that is this idea of precision nutrition, the ability of giving your body, and it's an extension of what I just said, but the ability of giving your body, specifically uh, Dave, you, and me, uh, we're different, giving our body what they need. Uh, similar idea for precision medicine, but really doing that with nutrition. It's going to be realized first. So, giving your body the supplements and everything that it needs um, to really be optimized, the right foods and nutrition, every, every single piece. And that's different for each, each of us as, as individuals, being able to use nutrition testing to wearable to a variety of different pieces of technology to help dial that in. is really important too. So you see huge opportunity there as well.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And, uh, and I'm curious a little bit, hear a little bit more about esports. and and uh, yeah, I know, I don't know how much you you've dove into. Well, you've dove a lot into esports, but uh, you know how it'll impact. I guess you know will it impact regular sports. Um, you know, I saw one blog post. You were talking about how stadiums could you know become a host to more esports or tournaments e- e- mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, yeah, do you, how how do you see it kind of playing out in the future.
1: With a... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I focused on two areas. There's there's other ones I feel really bullish on as well. Esports is a fascinating area. It's unbelievably fragmented, unbelievably complicated, and really is putting um, you know kind of the traditional sports model on its head. And but at the same time, you see how esports and traditional sports are go- going to intersect, and they're very gonna, they're really going to complement each other over time. Uh, I see huge opportunity uh, um, from a variety of different areas um, arising in esports, not only from the communities that that are going to rise and exist, um, that are very latent to a lot of people, but are there and are continuing to grow. And there's some pretty jaw-dropping numbers out there uh, around that. If you look at Twitch, that was, you know, it was acquired by Amazon, you know, I think four or five years ago, or maybe even more. But it's, you know, live live streaming platform for gamers uh, that are actually playing video games. Uh, live streaming that I've seen them play. Um, at any given time, you know, people on that Twitch platform, I think, I've seen the numbers. At any given time, during peak hours, that takes up 10 to 15% of the broadband of the entire United States.
0: Wow. Mind-blowing
1: numbers. Mind-blowing <laughs> numbers. We were talking about a massive community that is latent in a variety of different ways. Seeing that grow um, over time and seeing a a base of, you see this this intersection of traditional sports that have always been kind of really teaming up with esports as well to really help grow. And and, and no one really quite understands that. And I always have a simple explanation, which is it's a way to grow a user base that doesn't exist. It's a way to drive growth into a um, variety of different areas and as well as really grow an affinity for the sport itself, whether it's virtual, uh any sports or actually playing the game, and in a lot of ways it's very complimentary as well. So it's, it's this growth potential as you continue to move, you know, away from traditional sports and go to League of Legends and Dota, and, um, all the different types of games, how those communities are also going to continue to grow as well and then pull in and have this halo effect with traditional sports as well. So, it's going to be fascinating over time how it all plays out. It's a ridiculously complicated area because you have the league, the, you know, the actual publishers of the video games that own the league, that own the teams that, I mean, it, became, it becomes very, that that then is kind of really driven by, uh, yeah, everyone, the, you know, the main consumption ended up being Twitch. So it's being able to understand how this all comes together. The venues, which you mentioned are also, you know, having the esports actual events and games are, Another absolutely fascinating area. If you look at those, and I'm sure you, you can see them on TV, you see a, 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 just a, a highly engaged audience. You, you don't see, if you look at traditional sports, you see someone in a baseball game look at their phone the entire time down the road game. If you go to an esports event and look at, no one is on their phone. Everybody's absolutely engaged and usually yelling their head out. It's a completely different way of, of really looking at a captive audience in a way. That is really, really driving an engagement level that's ridiculously high and, and just unique in itself.
0: Interesting. All right, two, we're almost out of time, but we have two more questions. So one, one is, so uh, you know, I live in Madison, Wisconsin, and so I like University of Wisconsin and Badgers. And uh, mm-hmm. I was trying to convince. Uh, I love it. You like? Love... Yes. <laughs> I I've, been, would, I've been up there several times. Have you? All right. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. So when I was talking about the biostamp, uh,
1: the university of Wisconsin was one of the very smart institutions that saw the value of the bio stamp. And wow. I was at MC 10 being able to use this to the, as a world-class research tool to be able to quantify a variety of different things. And some of that was focused on some really, really amazing work on orthopedic rehabilitation as well as human performance in general. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're always testing on new stuff and that's one reason I was trying to convince somebody in the athletic department. I'm like, you guys should set up some type of, and I want to get your thoughts on what you would do if you, if University of Wisconsin called you up and like, how can we be more innovative? Because I'm like, oh, you guys should set up like an innovative team, like kind of make it more formal. Right now, they I get involved with different studies, I think, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. How would you, if you were going to a college program or a pro, of course, but a college program, what would what recommendations would you give in order to become more innovative?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really <laughs> good and tough question. First off, it's, it's really to understand what the appetite is, is. Yeah. Um, you know, our focus is really trying to figure out a team that A is willing to understand and learn how the world's going to change is to be able to sit back and these are the trends that are happening in the space. Maybe this doesn't fall in line with how you see the world or where you look at your strategy for your org- organization or your school. But you know, these are larger trends happening. I think it doesn't make sense to bury your head in the sand. It makes sense to, to know about everything. Um, so that's why I think the, the biggest thing is, is being able to keep an open mind and having a, a pulse of what that looks like. I think um, continuing to um, develop relationships with a broader industry that is focused around that is actually you know really, really important. I think the academic institutions are starting to see that, and I see that. You know, we're, we're based out of Boston and we've got, you know, over 60 universities and institutions that are, that are here that, um, you know, that we, we have got, got the full solve as, as well. But I, I really think that radiates, uh, outwardly, which is, you know, really having this, um, you know, this kind of two-way street back and forth, uh, between innovation and, uh, discovery and research itself, uh, to really reflect, um, uh, you know, new things, not kind of dominated by industry, but health. help defined by industry as well as you know, still having those truly, truly innovative innovative points. So I think being integrated with that, listening kind of what happened in the market is really important. But, you know, I, you know, I, you know personally I think, you know, us, the Sports Innovation Lab would, would absolutely love, I, I hadn't thought about it before, but, you know, would love to talk to the University of Wisconsin <laughs> in some way. We've got three academic partnerships that we have from the Harvard Innovation Lab, the, sports, the MIT Sports Technology Research Group, as well as the USC Center for Body Computing uh, out in LA. We have three of those academic partnerships, but we continue to have
0: a win-win
1: partnership on really creating a pulse of what exists out there and how we continue to push the envelope on testing.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yes. Well, I will I'll send my contact there to this podcast. So. (laughs) so, Okay. Awesome. (laughs) You never know. Love Uh, it. And then... uh,
1: Well, you you guys I, I will say that you guys have one of the world leaders in uh, lower extremity gait assessment. His name is Brian Heiderscheid. He's an absolute rock star. Oh. He's at University of Wisconsin. Yeah, he's he's a world renowned expert, and he's one of the gems that you guys do have there. Um, but he is he is he's an absolute uh, Jedi when it comes to lower <laughs> gait uh, uh, assessment, and uh, as well as kind of functionality, whether it comes from orthopedic evaluation or other aspects.
0: Cool. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing is. Yeah. Moving to Madison, New University of Wisconsin, definitely you, you're, you're never aware of all the, the talent that's there. <laughs> I'm expect I'm it's so big. Same Boston too, I'm sure. Yeah you guys have so many Same. universities. But all right, so uh last question, this is more of a personal one. I'm always curious, what you know, what do you like to do outside of work? Sounds like you have a family and kids.
1: Um Yeah. So
0: you know, what do you uh, what do you like to do?
1: Um, it's a good question. Uh, (laughs) I, I, I love, so I, I'm, I definitely love, I love staying ridiculously busy. Uh, as you can imagine, I'm, I am very busy with business interests as well as running the sports innovation lab, continuing to grow the company. We've now got 18 clients. Um, we've built a team now over 20 people, mostly analysts here. So as you can imagine, stay extremely busy, we've got a couple of really big, Deals were about to close on the table uh, for some other things that you'll see. You'll see announcements for shortly. Um, so that's kind of business and career-wise, I stay ridiculously busy in a variety of different interests in technology and biotech. Uh, on top of that, I uh, it actually before that and kind of first and foremost, when I love to relax, I love to relax with my family. I love you know I've got a 13 year old boy Isaiah Jr. and daughter Liliana. And my my wife who's my high school sweetheart, um love to spend time with them and relax relax with them when I can. And um just an amazing time. Um, you know, when I when I can do that, I I really cherish my alone time and my family time with them. And I really try to do to unplug uh regardless of what the situation is, whether it's been a good day or bad day, it doesn't matter. Uh, it all goes back into really um cherishing and and loving every single moment I get to spend with them and in a way that I really looked at as my own childhood growing up, which is uh, being able to do that and not, and and not experiencing that myself and having the ability to create that when I was older. And I, I never take that for granted. And I love it.
0: Nice. All right. Well, that's great. And uh, I guess that does it. So Isaiah, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat and very inspirational where you came from, what you're doing now. So yeah, love hearing your story. So thanks for uh, sharing it with us.
1: Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. It was it was great talking with you and looking forward to to, to hearing how this sounded.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. we will send it to you beforehand, so in case you need the trash okay. it or something. No, you, it was great. So <laughs> but uh Awesome. All right. And thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Flyer Labs. As always, I definitely appreciate it. We'll we'll see you next time. Bye everyone. Bye Zay.
1: <laughs> Take care. Thanks.